Welcome to the Beyond the Perimeter podcast. Podcast. The podcast where we discuss everything security. Each week, we cover the latest and biggest breaches to hit the news and talk to different security experts to learn about their experiences in the security industry. It's time for Beyond the Perimeter podcast with your host, Zev Brodsky. Welcome to episode three of the Beyond the Perimeter podcast, the podcast where we discuss everything security. If you're a first time listener, in each episode, we discuss the biggest breach in the past month and interview a different security expert to gain their insights when it comes to their expertise in the security industry. In this episode, I'll discuss the Twitter hack and interview Len no, who is a white hat hacker and cybersecurity specialist. We'll end the episode with our security tip of the month. Now for the breach of the month. On July 15th, we saw one of the most high-profile breaches of the year. A hacker gained access to an internal admin tool on Twitter's network. They hijacked a ton of celebrity accounts such as Joe Biden, Bill Gates, and Elon Musk to spread a cryptocurrency scam. The hacker made over $120,000 in just a few hours. But how the hacker got in and whether an employee helped remains a mystery, but it's likely the hacker found their way into Twitter Slack where they found a set of credentials. Twitter described it as a social engineering attack which typically means a hacker is able to trick someone into providing their logger credentials for access. Twitter has not provided any more information on the hack. I interviewed Len no about his experience as a white hat hacker and why businesses should look to implement ethical hackers into their internal security strategy. We're excited to have Len no on the podcast today. Len no is a white hat hacker and a cybersecurity specialist. Len is an international speaker, has presented in over 20 countries and multiple major security conferences. Len spent 20 years in the areas of web development, system engineering, coding, and the past six years in information security and architecture, focusing primarily on enterprise organizations. He's also actively participates in the activities of the information security communities in Texas as member of the Austin Hackers Association, the Austin Lockpicking Club, the Autism Society, and many others. Len, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. My pleasure, is a pleasure to be here, man. So let's start off. When did you start to have an interest in hacking and what sparked it? Uh, it, it's kind of a weird story and it wasn't that I was getting into hacking in the beginning. Um, it all started for me back in the Commodore 64 days. And the truth is there was a magazine that you could get that would actually give you some very simple rudimentary programs that you could write for your Commodore 64. And the one that got me was Frogger, the old video game. And during the time where I was trying to code this, I messed up some of the code when I was programming. And for some reason, my frog would not die. And it just opened up a whole new world to me of, okay, if you do something in the background, it can affect what's going to happen. So that was kind of what really sparked it for me was the idea that I was in control. And even though the way that the game was supposed to be played, if I made a change in the background, I could play the game the way I wanted to play it. Um, early on, where did you learn the different techniques of hacking? Like you said just now, this is a very early on what sparked it, but once you got more into it and started digging into you know, the different techniques, where did you learn the different techniques of hacking? Uh, to be honest, it was a, mostly trial and error and a lot of friends. I mean, you got to remember, this was back in like the pre-Pentium days, you know, we're talking, you know, 
386DX2s, 486 with the math coprocessors so you could have the floating decimal point. Um, it was a lot of bulletin board systems. And I think a lot of where the techniques came from was just a good understanding that I don't think a lot of people get these days. You know, when I was going through this originally, this was when the personal computers were first coming out. It was back in the days of, you know, uh, computer shows where, you know, computers were bought in large department stores and they cost four to $5,000. So I think it was the fact that, you know, it was DOS, when I started, you learned how to use a terminal and it was before any real GUI I, you know, OS was available. So I just kind of knew the how things work and it was a lot of trial and error and, you know, logging into other, you know, like-minded individuals like myself who were into this kind of thing. And it was kind of the, the, the pre-birth of the hacker collectives. I mean, we weren't hackers at the time because there really wasn't a term. At the time, we were just geeks. Okay, so you're saying you're really kind of the original kind of, not like you said, uh, quotation, hash hackers. So how did you, like, over the time evolve into becoming more of a, of like a, a black hat hacker, we'll call it? Um, I think at the time, it was just kind of where I was in my life. You know, I, I grew up and was raised in the west side of Detroit. Uh, you know, it wasn't a, a very friendly upbringing and, you know, it got real easy as we were bringing more and more computers and technology into schools, you know, and my father was one of those guys that, you know, had to have the latest and greatest toys. So I, I actually had a computer in my home from a very, very early age. You know, from there it turned into figuring out how I could break into the schools, get into, you know, the test forms that were coming out. And honestly, through junior high and part of my high school career, I made a pretty lucrative side business selling exam questions for high school and junior high. So I guess the, the black hat side was simply um, means and opportunity. And you got to remember at the time, there was no real hackers. There wasn't any kind of like GDPR or you know any type of disclosure laws in the u.s you know if you got caught hacking you know they would slap your hand maybe you know you you weren't allowed to use a computer until you were 18 but it wasn't until after you know the 9-11 incident in the united states where any type of hacking really started to become a major issue and started to, to command heavy jail times and fines so I guess it was just kind of going with the times. I, at the time I was actually a, in college and in high school trying to become a computer-aided design engineer or draftsman. So I was always around computers. I was always, you know, very interested in it. And, you know, I always have had that inane sense of wanting to know not just the fact that it worked, but why does it work? You know. My father was a mechanic and always told me, if you understand the basics, then any of the complicated things become very simple if you break it down to its rudimentary form. Okay, so you're kind of like, it was like you're saying, it's testing things out and seeing, you know, why things, you know, why was it able to break and what were the, what, what were the steps that I took to do it? So yeah. 
So what made you switch sides from being a black hat hacker to a white hat hacker? Uh, very simple. I, I don't like the idea of state funded vacations. Um, <laughs> you know, the idea of being locked away just really didn't appeal to me. You know, I mean, it, I've never been one of those, even when I was a black hat, I was never one of those kind of guys that would go after people and try and steal their personal information or try and ransomware somebody or blackmail somebody. For me, it's always been more about the, just the puzzle, you know, and, you know, I like those people who always say, you know, I'm secure. Really? Let's test that theory, you know, and you know, I'm a firm believer. If you think you can get into my stuff, come on. I have a lot, you know, if you can get past the securities and the preventative measures that I put in place, then you deserve it. You know, but it's never been about me trying to say, I'm going to take your property or I'm going to take your intellectual property. It's always for me, even when I was younger and, you know, doing things that weren't necessarily legal, you know, it was always about, can I not, you know, I'm going to do this because I don't like you. It was always just, can I actually, am I smarter than the guy that set up the security? You know, and that's just me as a down at the core, I think in terms of my personality, you know, I know I'm there, there are people better than me. And, you know, there's an old expression, those who, you know, exalt themselves will be humbled, but those who humble themselves will be exalted. You know, be humble with your security, know what you're doing, you know, and don't brag. I, I think that, you know, I, I've seen it so many times in my life where there, you get those people who are like, you know, basically taunt the the attack and they always wind up sorry for it in the end. Yeah, I think we're seeing that even more where people are companies that are coming out saying, oh, our, ne our network, our service is secure. And then you 48 hours, you see, oh, they've got hacked or they. Yeah. Yeah. Or they were, you know, they're proven, oh, you have a massive hole in this in your network that was e that within two hours we easily hacked and and exploited your entire resources yeah you know i think you know as a whole you know the society or the uh security society and community needs to look at the fact that you know the people that are in your security roles most of them are going to be what would considered to be blue you know blue team or purple team maybe they're not thinking along the same methodologies as attackers do you know, it's kind of like the law. As long as you follow the law, everything works fine. But once you get up with somebody who's not playing by the same rules that you are, you need to be able to adapt quickly and be able to deal with those kinds of things. So yeah, it, it, it it's definitely something that's very, very important. Why would you, why should business implement white hat hacker programs in their internal security teams? Um, to be honest, I, I have a very strange kind of view on that. I think having an internal white team or white hat hackers on your team is a good idea, but I also think that it's uh, somewhat of a deterrence to an extent if you don't go outside of your own corporate teams. Uh, no matter how you want to slice it, red teams, white hats, if they're employed by the same companies, that they're doing the tests for, there always winds up being some form of politics. I think having a red team and white hats on staff is a great idea. It keeps you, you fluent. It keeps people updated on the types of attack vectors that are new. 
and it's going to keep fresh eyes and people that are actually in this community you know looking at what's going on but at the same time i also think that even if you do implement a red team or a white hat on your your payroll i think once a year it's still a good idea to get an external pen test done or invoke you know invoke the services of a third party just to keep everybody honest they don't have a potential friend who might be the system admin and not want to get him in trouble you know always look at security from the sense that you know it is going to always be a strong only as strong as your weakest link you know get those fresh eyes get that unbiased opinion every now and then keep your red teams and your your white hats on staff just because these are people that are going to be tuned into the what's going on and what's current but i think having if you're not going to use some type of offensive technology to test and vet your own securities you're just waiting for that guy to come in and go oh i'll test them for you and let's hope that you've put everything in place the correct way or else you're going to be on that long list of people that are going to have to go out and explain why somebody was able to get into you, your systems and why your customers data you know has been compromised and why your corporate reputation may be taking a tank okay so you really you're suggesting is bringing like that external uh external pen testers to really to test then from the outside view because even if you like you said you have blue team you have a red team or white team you really they know the system they know the way around everything so they're not exactly. they're not always looking for the the additional you know other things that an external someone would actually be looking for correct you know they know the architecture they know the layout they know where the dcs are they know where you know you're if you're in a segregated tiered infrastructure they know where those jump boxes are you want a black box test where somebody that's going to come out with no knowledge and actually give you an honest estimate of what your security situation is. Okay. But that being said, keeping those internal teams, I think, is still very, very vitally important because to stay current on what's going on, it's a full time job. I mean, I look at the hacker news and, you know, different types of, you know, cybersecurity websites and data, like some people check the stock market, you know, and it's, it is a full-time job and it's, it's a lifestyle. If you want to really be good at this, you know, there's because of the fact that the attack vectors change so quickly, zero days come out, you know, it's a constantly evolving landscape. And if you have somebody who's just a if you're doubling your system administration, and your, your security, that's more than one person in any large enterprise should, would be able to do and do extremely effectively. I'm not gonna say that it can't be done, you know, because I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that are in those roles. But what I am saying is if you really wanna get down to it, that's a lot of pressure to put on a single individual. I, I totally, I totally agree. Um, with businesses putting a strong emphasis on security, are they doing enough to leverage white hat hackers in their organization's security strategy? I don't think so. I really don't. I mean, I, I'm out there all the time doing presentations and one of the bigger questions I get is, you know, where and how do we start implementing a red team or white hats in our environment? You know, there's a lot of different things. And I would say that even the 
what's the what's the word I'm looking for? The reputation. Even like even when I go out, I mean, funny story. Uh, I did some traveling to do uh, some presentations in Australia a couple of years ago, and I had my my kit with me with you know bash bunnies. I had my hack RF. I had some lock picks. You know, just things that I would normally have to do one of my security presentations. And I got tagged at the airport. They thought that they had caught an international super criminal. And it was like pulling teeth with the uh, the the border agents going, I'm a white hat hacker. The fact that I said white hat in front of hacker didn't matter. The only thing that they heard was I was a hacker and I had a bunch of equipment that they couldn't understand and that they had no idea what it was for. Uh, and without going into too much more of the story, I mean, if anybody ever meets up with me at one of my presentations, ask me about it, I'll be happy to tell you. But it was about an hour and a half to two hours of explanation before they finally released me with the understanding that I was not a criminal. And I think the same could be said here in the United States and probably in Europe. The minute you add anything before the word hacker, most of your C-level executives, maybe outside of the CISO, they hear the word hacker and it's instantly bad. So I think that doing what you're doing right now with promoting the fact that white hats and you know ethical hackers, we are the ones out here that are trying to protect these corporate environments and I think it's more along the lines of drawing the distinction between the fact that there are good and bad actors on in this space and just changing the reputation and getting it to where people actually start seeing it as a value instead of with skepticism. I, to I totally agree. I feel like there, people don't know enough about what white hackers, white hat hackers are doing or ethical hackers. And even if just like putting the word hacking hacker in it, it really puts that negative negative uh, approach to it. And I think, you know, what you guys are doing is great work and really, you know, seeing what things are, be, are being hacked, how they're getting hacked. And like you said, you know, to see how it actually, how, it, how you've hacked it and kind of taking it from there and really people can understand how the lack of security they actually have. You know, it was a great thing you brought up earlier was, you know, you think you can, you can hack me? Try it. Let's see, let's see if you can succeed. And you know, I think what you guys are doing, like in general, is great work. Um, what does the future look like for White Hat Hacker programs? Honestly, I think it's going to get better. I really, really do. Um, with the fact that we've seen so many things happening as a result of COVID and the world moving to more of a remote architecture, I there's been so many different viruses, malwares, people social engineering things that I think the idea that large enterprises and companies are going to have to start looking at this, whether they want to or not. I mean, it's just getting to the point where the necessity for additional information and a greater understanding of what's going on is going to force some of these larger companies to start investing into these types of programs. You know, that being said with, you know, your last question, I think it's going to have, in order for this to work, 
there's going to have to be more things like this podcast. There's going to have to be more more sites out there like Nullbyte or Packetstorm, you know, some of these classic cybersecurity sites. And we're going to have to, as ethical hackers, we're going to have to start trying to change our reputation and draw that major distinction between us and the bad actors and the system state attacks and show that we are a resource. But I think the, the potential for white hat programs, red teams, I see that going through the roof as things continue because we're actually moving into a new phase of computing. With the fact that, like I said, the remote access, you know, I don't know how things are there in Europe and in the Middle East, but a lot of the companies here in the United States are now talking about downsizing their, their actual brick and mortar facilities and going to more of a home shored situation. So the idea that security and man in the middle attacks, attacks against QRs, uh, VOIP style attacks, as people are moving more to a home short environment, this stuff's gonna continue to get worse and worse and worse. So the idea that, you know, we could have programs in place, you know, the other thing is I love what SANS is doing. They're trying to find ways of making things more uniform and standardized across all aspects of White Hat. Um, you know, I trying to remember what's that other organization that I've been talking to. I'll, if I remember it, I'll bring it back up. But I think it's a two part thing and I see that the potential there, it's just gonna be a matter of whether or not we as the cybersecurity community can actually monopolize on it and show the value in such a way that we can get that initial foot in the door. Because once they see what we're capable of, it's a whole different ball game, but getting, it's almost as difficult as that initial foothold during an attack. You know, getting somebody to go, okay, you're, you're a hacker, but you're on my side. If we can get past that negative connotation and show the value, I think that the future for red team programs and white hat programs is going to be great for all of us in the security field. Okay, I, I, I think I totally agree. And I really like the point you brought up is that it's really has to be, it's a two-sided. It's from the, like you say, the organization side, but also the the security side where people actually have to believe in like, you know, what the value provides and what you guys are capable of doing. Um, what's your advice for young security enthusiasts who are looking to become a white hat hacker? Um, play, honestly, play, 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 play. Uh, get out there. YouTube is an amazing resource. I have a, a GitHub repo on my GitHub that is just links for new cyber security people. You know, sites like Packetstorm, Vaulthub. One of my one of my biggest recommendations for newbies, and a lot of people think I'm stupid for for making this recommendation. Uh, Vaulthub, if you're not familiar with it, is a site where you can just go download pre-made capture the flag VMs for VMware or VirtualBox. And a lot of the times you can actually go to Google or DuckDuckGo and you can search for a walkthrough of that capture the flag. And even to this day, I mean, I don't know every single tool that's out there. So when I get bored, sometimes I'll go download a capture the flag. I will go find a walkthrough for that capture the flag and then I will walk through somebody else's process. 
because it gives you the step-by-step instructions on how they were able to complete that exercise. And that's how I will pick up learning new tools. But for newbies, it's a great way to actually see and walk through the entire process. And at the end of it, you actually are able to, to complete the capture the flag. The tools that you're going to use, it's a great opportunity like Nikto. You know, maybe your command is you're going to run Nikto. So you, before you run it, you go over to your search engine. You go, okay, what is Nikto? You get an explanation. You go back, you run the command. So now you have an understanding of the command. You, you've ran it. And now you're going to get the output and you can continue to walk through that workflow all the way through and it'll actually get you a little bit more familiar with the tools in a more hands-on fashion but study up on youtube the, the one thing i will say about the the cybersecurity community is for the most part we are pretty open with our information go to the, the you know go to our githubs go to our youtube channels you will find gists of information you will find example videos of different attack scenarios and different attack applications uh get involved in your local security community uh you've got oasp chapters around the world you've got uh like here in austin texas we have the austin hackers association if you can go up to dallas they have the dallas hackers collective there's typically going to be some type of group involved in cybersecurity probably close to anywhere that you are worldwide. So make friends, start talking to people, get into discord channels, but just have fun. And that's the thing for me. Hacking has never been about anything more than the challenge and the satisfaction of being able to overcome that challenge. But anybody who's listening is more than welcome. Uh, hit my GitHub repo. There's a great, repo there with a bunch of different websites for resources uh different uh places you can go for capture the flags different places you can go for some free classes and if you feel the need by all means reach out drop me an email if you would like some direction i'd be happy to help with that as well awesome and where where else online can people find you for to reach out to you on like uh I can be found on LinkedIn at Lenno. Uh, I can be found on GitHub at Hacker213, Twitter at Hacker213, and uh, YouTube channel is also Hacker213. Awesome. Len, thanks so much for taking the time, really getting the insights and picking your mind about being a white hat hacker and, ex and your experience over the years. We really appreciate it, and uh, thanks so much. It's been my pleasure, Zev, and I look forward to hearing from you in the future, man. All the best to you and everyone over there. Now for a security tip of the month. Beware social engineering. When hackers can't find a security vulnerability, they'll attack in other ways. Enter social engineering. This type of attack is more of an attack on the mind of the user rather than the device to gain access. Especially with the information publicly available online and over social media, hackers have come up with more creative ways to trick users. When you get a highly urgent, highly pressured message, be sure to take a moment to check if the source is credible. Better be safe than sorry. That's this week's episode of the Beyond the Perimeter podcast. Don't forget to join us next month for another episode. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening.